2: Still remains Good
0: morning and welcome to another episode of Outlook. We're back and you may have recognized the music in the background.
1: I hope so. Good morning. You're listening to Outlook on this Monday morning, ninety four nine CHRW Radio Western. And we are back today with a friend of ours to have a bit of a discussion. Right, Brett?
0: An old friend?
1: Uh, did I say old?
0: No, I was just thinking, because that's in the lyrics of this song.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, he well, he's pretty old. Um, <laughs> welcome, Barry. Thanks for coming.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. You're not that old. No, I'm not that old. I'm older than you two. Exactly, that's, right, that's yes. what I
1: meant. Okay, but uh, the time period we're going to jump back to on today's episode is the 60s. Yeah,
2: so
0: <laughs> the song the sound of silence it was also called this it was actually originally called the sounds of silence but uh, it was originally released in 1964 on their first album Wednesday morning 3 a.m and was a flop at the time didn't didn't have any success but a year later it was re-released as a single and that's when it really dru- uh, jumped to number one across the world and big song obviously most people yeah. have heard it it was and I, named among the the top twenty most performed songs of the twentieth century, and included in Rolling Stone's five hundred greatest songs of all time.
1: I love all the music history because Brian's a music guy, so yeah. we wanted to start with a bit of so, musical and
0: to help set the time period as well and how much right. of an impact this song had. But this does tie to to this show in, a, in an interesting way, so. <laughs> It's going to bring on some discussion, but maybe if you want to... We're going to
1: have some music talk uh, episodes coming up here. And um, yeah, I mean, Brian and I were blind and uh, Barry here, our friend, is also blind. So, I mean, the song kind of sounds like we're talking about, you know, hearing, but we're talking about blindness on this episode, about just the um, ways people interpret it in their lives. And I didn't know anything about this. But the book just came out recently that we're going to talk about today. And it's by uh, a man named Sanford D. Greenberg, which uh, we hadn't heard of him either. But apparently he's the longtime best friend of Art Garfunkel. If you thought that was Paul's position, well, you'd be wrong. But um, the book we're talking about is Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend, which uh, I last time said was the song title but that's a lyric uh but this is a memoir by sandy called hello darkness my old friend how daring dreams and unyielding friendship turned one man's blindness into an extraordinary vision of life so it's a bit of a mouthful
0: yeah very long title and this this memoir just came out right this year i think
1: yeah this summer this past summer
0: right so there was some interesting interesting details about this song and how it inspired art garfunkel um through his friend here that nobody i don't think had heard about until this memoir was released and mm-hmm. that's how this this news story came came upon us i think someone shared it on their youtube channel uh some some uh someone who was blind shared it on their youtube channel and we yeah. heard about it through there and then you read the memoir and it brings in up a lot of interesting discussion so maybe if you want to talk a little bit about the memoir
1: Yeah, so I thought we should do a little bit of a, not exactly a book review, but, uh, so there are a couple different types of disability um, sort of theory. So this is, we're talking today a lot about the medical model of of blindness and disability, which is how a lot of people see it. So this man um, was born sighted, this Sandy Greenberg. Um, He was born and he lived in, he grew up in Buffalo, New York, so not far from Canada, actually. Um, and the other he, side of Niagara. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's, it's pre- pretty far from Ireland where Barry is calling yeah. in from today, but... Uh,
1: right. It's close to us. Uh, have you been to nice Buffalo, bet. Barry? No,
2: no, uh, but I know people that have. Nice bed and breakfast, apparently.
1: <laughs> well, I I went there for their um, cheesecake factory, so...
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I always like a bit of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh... So yeah, this guy was this. This guy is a smart guy, uh, and he's he lives with his wife, and they had three children together. But uh, he was a smart guy, and he he got into Columbia University. And when he got there, he met his roommate, who turned out to be Art Garfunkel. Wow! And uh, he he often refers to him as Arthur.
0: And this was before Art Simon and Garfunkel were really a thing at this point. Yes. Right? So,
1: so would it have been around
0: sixty three or sixty four, maybe.
1: Well, he 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 um he loses his sight in 1961 okay, in the yes, middle of his before. yeah is in the middle of his university career. Uh, he's into political science. He wants to go to law school. He's got these big dreams, and he meets uh, Art Garfunkel, who is an archi- architecture student. And um, there are a few mentions of Paul Simon in the book, but not much because obviously that's not uh,
2: does it. Does sandwich. it mention Carrie Horry lost his sight?
1: Yes, it does. Okay. So he 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 start yeah he starts by getting <laughs> what they say is um, conjunctivitis, oh, which yeah. I don't really know yeah, do all you- the technicals of that. Is that? But...
2: I think it's it's well, if, if you get conjunctivitis, I think one of the one of the symptoms is you have like lots of pus and stuff in your eyes. So to me, that would suggest conjunctivitis is probably some sort of infection or. Mm-hmm. The destructive disease.
1: I think he was misdiagnosed. So there's a bit of that. So he talks a bit about the doctor who kind of kept saying, you know, well, here's some drops, just take these. It'll be fine. You know, all the usual things that a lot of people, right.
0: Hear. The doctor assured him originally that it would pass and think everything would be fine. Mm-hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: So I'm going to quickly set the stage of the early sixties here. These guys they are You know, they're living it up. These two, in um, New York City, Columbia University. If someone someone's un- unaware is in New York City, there. Uh, so, they said he says they were appreciators, <laughs> and and he considers himself a uh, amalgam of a doer and a dreamer. And he describes his friend Art Art or Arthur as the gold standard of decency. Wow. And why he does that is basically because uh, Art sticks by him when he loses his sight and he actually becomes his reader in in, in college because you know there's so much reading and once he loses his vision here he, he he's told by all his family and the doctors you know he should probably just stay back in Buffalo and not go back to school and he at first sort of succumbs to that he's you know depressed and all that stuff obviously
0: right because uh, he was um, doctors realized that he had glaucoma
1: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so it was actually not conjunctivitis. That was a misdiagnosis. Um, he describes when he met Art, he says he was duality tender and mighty, powerful, a bulky gentleman, um, but with a gentle resonance to his voice. So he was, a, you know, <laughs> he starts to describe people in really interesting ways uh, once he's loses li- this site. But um, I thought we should start to of talk about his early influences of what blindness is, because that's why we're going to start doing this show. It's very dark, a lot of this stuff in the book. And I wasn't sure what to expect when I started reading exactly, but I kind of had an idea, right? And so we got to put ourselves in the time too. You know, when you go blind in the early 60s, that was before iPhones and all that stuff, obviously, which the stuff we enjoy, the stuff that's helping us doing the show right now.
0: Yeah, this technology obviously has helped out So much. Like
2: Uh, none none of this. None of this existed in 61. No. Even even
0: (laughs) twenty even twenty or thirty years ago it was so different from today. So can only imagine back in the sixties.
2: Blind blind people weren't, you know, people in general weren't using computers. Right. Yeah.
1: So I don't know, Brian, if you found that in your in your research, but it says Sandy uh invented some sort of um I don't even know the name of the machine now. So basically what he invented was or prototyped, is, is something to help him get through his, his university days, because he had to listen to a lot of tapes. And back in the 60s, of course, again, it was like reel-to-reel or, well, is there something before Yeah, I think it, it?
0: it, it would... have there would have been reel-to-reel at that time. Um, I don't know. I don't think you can record onto eight-track that easily. Maybe you can. Mm.
1: Um, anyway, he invented something have been as, to help. Either
0: way, it wouldn't have been as easy as today.
1: Yeah. He wanted something to help speed up the tapes he had to listen to, because... You know, you want them at a different speed, so you can get through them faster.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see this, but
1: yeah. But other than that, uh, art became his reader, and so he had his own school to do. But he also would read right. They, his they make it
0: sound like, or at least at that point, uh, Garfunkel really took a, long, a lot out of his life to, to help out his friend here, mm-hmm. and even like, helped guiding guiding him to classes and everything. Yes. Um. And
1: so he he did eventually have other readers. Not just art, but right. especially because because uh, Sandy went on to uh, to Harvard Law School, and he went to Oxford for a while, and
0: and Art was off with Paul, getting famous for a few years until they broke up. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not really sure what Art Garfunkel was up to since then.
1: So to understand why Sandy would, ha- I mean, one of the reasons he would take such a view of blindness that he's obviously held on to all his life, because obviously our e- early years shape us. Uh, I wanted to sort of read a few of the quotes that he points to um, that describe this. So he speaks of one episode with his mother. So his father died when he was young, very young. And it was him, and he was sort of becoming the man of the house. He had a younger brother and a younger sister. Eventually his mother would marry and have another daughter. Uh, But uh, one of his first memories of a blind person that he saw was so I'm a writer, so I go from a lot of metaphor, which he's probably writing from that too in this book, but I don't wanna necessarily assume things, but I've got a metaphors here. Um he, he, he talks about being at a like a, a slaughterhouse almost with his mother. Like a like they're watching their their food they're they're waiting to get some food, I guess, from the butcher or, I'm not I'm not sure. It says slaughterhouse here anyway.
0: Looking to get something to eat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but um so basically it's quite a you know, the image of a slaughterhouse. And basically, his, she, he said his mom took him out into the fresh air. So that's sort of a contrast there. And they came across a blind man um, out on the street. So they, he says, they stumbled over a blind beggar. He was sitting cross-legged on the sidewalk. He was lanky, hunched over in soiled <laughs> and torn clothes, wearing oversized and dis disintegrated shoes and holding a metal cup. He had unfocused eyes that were milky with small black spots and his teeth were misshapen and decayed. (laughs) And so then he says, anyway, that is how I recall him. So that's, you know, that's important to mention. Yeah. So his earliest recollection,
0: his earliest memory (laughs) of meeting from that
1: moment to today is the form in which he has been a regular visitor in my dreams. So (laughs) <laughs> if the guy still dream If Archer, if, if um, Sandy still dreams about yeah, him, yeah, must have had a major
0: beggar. effect on him.
1: Oh yeah.
2: So this is sort of this uh, blind beggar became like a, the main symbolism for him of yep. blindness stood for, meant, and looked like and...
1: Yes, and of course it's. I mean, we couldn't have ri- written a better stereotypical sketch of that either, right? The, the no. cup guy on the street with the cup. Yeah. Um, well, that's
2: where know? handicap came from.
1: Well. Oh, I didn't even know that. Did you, bro?
2: Huh. No. Sorry, I'll just say it very quickly. So, yeah, um, the the term handicap actually was originally came from a blind beggar with his hat out, like took his hat off his head, held it out to the public for people to drop oh, change in. Okay. Makes... So it was hand in cap, and it was the begging thing. And then that just became a generic term for now what we would call disabled people.
1: So we think that handicap is from specifically a blindness not just yeah. disability in general but that's right yeah huh. that's interesting i mean i guess we'll say that handicapped is not really the favored term in yeah 2020. We, don't, we
0: don't really no. use that word on this show and i think <laughs> yeah it has become out of fashion these days but uh, but growing up and stuff I wouldn't you definitely say that, did hear it
1: yeah i it's wouldn't say common... that sandy's up on the latest you know um politically correct terms no <laughs> Um, but he's got another memory here from when he was growing up. So they lived from a lot of bad neighborhoods, a lot of run-down houses, uh, him and his family, especially before his mother remarried. So he says, he talks about a memory when him and his brother are outside playing basketball on the street, and they have this neighbor. So there are a bunch of neighbors around, mulling around his mother's, you know, nearby. But there's also some a blind guy who lives near there, I guess, and his name was Will Ludwig, and he was an old blind man. Who, who would stand, and, and that he says watch in quotes. Watching too. And no one knew what he did or where he came from. He just stood there in his white t-shirt and gray slacks, hiked up on his hips. He was creepy, but benign, like a friendly ghost. <laughs> if, he, if he wasn't there, you wouldn't notice he was absent. So that's some more powerful, in my mind, imagery
0: yeah he really paints the picture
1: <laughs> so he's benign but creepy but he's a friendly ghost you know, yeah kind of like Casper yeah kind of right <laughs> that's true that's weird um, and then he also talks about his grandmother who he says was a major influence in his life uh, but he also says that she had, had an, a fake eye which that one sort of snuck up on me in the book I wasn't expecting that uh, so he learned a lot from her, he said she was really wise, um, but then he and his brother would secretly open the drawer, because she would put her eye in the drawer at night, I guess, which, just to say, I have an artificial eye and I do not take it out every night and put it in a drawer, mm-hmm. but I have heard, I guess, that a lot of people do. So um, so they would open the drawer, shivering at the specter of the eye, staring back at at them. But you know they—they they were little kids, so they were intrigued. Also, <laughs> wow, yeah.
0: There's like an eye in this drawer staring at us.
1: Exactly.
2: And just to just to check up, I'm still with you here. So this this guy Sandy, this is the guy who, after all these tremendous, uh, t- 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 traumatic experiences, some that he engaged with himself, he then goes on to lose his eyesight. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Wow. wow. So this
1: all happens it's as he's growing up before yeah. he 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 knows he's going to be blind later yep. on so brian and i just for anybody who's new, li- newly listening we were both born blind or low vision um and we have had barry on in the past talking about his condition i believe yeah um, so
2: i, I had lacoma and then various things afterwards i the lost my sight, eyesight so yeah i'm blind now. yeah
1: so it's different
0: we wanted to have we wanted to have a third person on this call for just to just to open things up for this show and have someone like Barry, who wasn't born blind, he lost his sight a bit later, right? So, yeah, it's uh, it's just a different perspective to have, and I thought for this discussion, it would be good to have that.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know your whole history of when you were in university and how blindness affected your your university, um, if if at all. But oh yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it yeah. did. So oh yeah, um, so yeah, we we like to have different opinions, but like I said. We're trying to talk about this because i don't necessarily like some of the (laughs) most of what is the imagery that comes out of this book and i kind of feel like people like us should be speaking out a little bit against this sort of narrative just to show the world the alternatives uh and not to you know discount this man's experiences and everything and because we do acknowledge that like we've said recently that blindness can be challenging and painful at times uh but a lot of the opinions he expresses in this book I did find they're hard to read when when you've been blind all your life because you kind of take it on personally. Unless, unless anyways, I do, Brian. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe
2: do, funny enough, I did think that as well, Carrie. Okay, I was sitting going, mm-hmm. "Am I am I like too sensitive if I think find some of that description of slightly offensive?"
1: Yeah, well, because that's it's me.
2: it's kind of. I mean, it's not like offensive. Like I'm going to go oh boo, and cry in the pillow tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's sort of. Offensive? Any grisly, pathetic sort of imagery? Pretty much so.
0: Yeah, it does. Does have a very p- pathetic feel to it. Um,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, and fair enough. I, it, this is the thing that's actually amazing me straight away is swiss was what sixty one.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, you'd think he was talking about Victorian England. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I know. Like we, okay, it's sixty. They're, they're, we're very knowledgeable with technology and stuff. Um, back, back certainly in that time period, but wow! But it's it's hard to believe. I'm not saying could tell lies. I'm just saying, wow! You, you thought things would have even moved on a wee bit more then, but yeah. And there's on. always
0: there's always different circumstances. Some people it would have been better than others, but at the same time, it's it is crazy when you think back a time that was only 40 or 60 years ago that how things were for for a lot of people. Yeah, it's not that long. Yeah, long. and just, you think that you know. with a lot of things with with rights for women and everyone right so it's it's something that's the stuff is is more recent than than you than you mm-hmm. think about
2: yeah
0: um carrie i don't know if you were planning to read this the one quote but i had a quote about when exactly when he started to notice his vision was he was losing his vision and i just thought it was go ahead i a big impact i was
1: getting to that but if you Sorry, if, i didn't know if, if got there's got any more there back,
0: background but um i just wanted to say
1: i can i can circle back
0: this really just emphasizes how much it affected him so He says, I was at a baseball game and suddenly my eyes became cloudy and my vision became unhinged shortly after that darkness descended. And, (laughs) and then when, when he found out that, um, he was, the doctors told him that he actually had glaucoma and that he wouldn't be getting his sight back. He, like you had kind of commented on, he, his, his family, he was raised by, uh, his father, his, or his, his mother wasn't around. I think you said, is that right?
1: No, his father died when he was little. His mother was around and she remarried.
0: Okay. Um, But anyway, his family was Jewish immigrants in Buffalo, Mm -hmm. had no money to help him. So when he went blind, he dropped out of college, gave up his dream of becoming a lawyer and plunged into depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that really set the stage for how how much of an impact that had at the time for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he, he really uses a lot of metaphors about weather. Like he says at the beginning, his vision was like muddy and his, his mind felt muddy also. And he talks about cloudy and foggy, and, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a very um, common metaphor to describe visually what, and not every blind person sees what we think of as blackness. People will yeah. describe it as fuzzy or, you know, snowy or whatever you want to say.
2: <laughs> but Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's describing, it's really funny because the, the thing I'm noticing about him like, obviously just sort of contrasting myself who's nearly 40 years of age yeah we're talking about 70 years roughly uh, difference uh, what? I'm not doing math right now you so, know Brad
0: yeah yeah. it would have been six, coming up on 60 years ago
2: that he went blind here 60 years yeah. yeah so um, but like I don't know I mean as somebody again this Kind of, as you said, having me on here. But as somebody who had seen, yes, mm-hmm. as I said in the previous show, I went to school for visually impaired kids. But that was just like my day-to-day schooling. It wasn't like boarding school or anything. And I hung out with non-disabled kids on the street and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I lost my eyesight, I don't. I don't remember it like being the. Oh yeah, sure, it was hard at the time, but you know sort of moved on from that there obviously and i wouldn't i don't even think back then i would have described it to people as like Mm. in this in this such a language
1: yeah Uh, it's it's difficult (laughs) that's why we it
0: is it is a very emotional topic because it's it's hard to imagine that that time so long ago but even then and I mean it's also the situation like we say he came up from a pretty poor background um yeah. which that obviously doesn't help um, You know it
1: was just like this is my luck right like you know his childhood was difficult he lost his father he bounced back from that and then he saw himself self, even when his mother remarried as the man of the family kind of in the head of things and so all of a sudden all of a sudden you're you're vulnerable and you feel you know useless all of a sudden to your family almost, so I guess that played into into it too, I, I would think but
0: Yeah, he was. He had a lot of responsibilities he wasn't even just taking care of himself he he felt like he was in a lot of ways taking care of the family
1: Even uh, when he didn't have to anymore right. Yeah, the, so it sort
2: of sounds like yeah. he, he was essentially sort of cr- um, crawling his way out of the gutter, so to speak Kind of. Star- starting to feel like there might be light at the end of the tunnel and then that light essentially just goes out but basically, piper.
1: another um, quote he uses is, um, to relate these moments of decline is to describe torture. Right, And somebody might say, oh, that's being overdramatic, torture, but obviously that's how he felt.
2: So, so his eyesight went gradual look home with Lacoma then?
1: Well, not that gradual. Um, <laughs> within a couple, I think a couple months. Yeah, it sounded like it was pretty was quick, right? Yeah. Okay. Just yeah, he's just the way
0: he says at this baseball game, where he just like yeah, noticed, he, he it. noticed it, kind of hit him pretty quickly in that one moment. Obviously, it would have gotten worse from there, but it seemed like it hit pretty hard right away.
1: So he went home to his family, and he saw a doctor there. And <laughs> he saw another doctor, and he eventually ended up in Detroit with this surgeon who did surgery on his eyes. And when he woke up, his mother was there, and uh, he was in the hospital for several days, and... um <laughs> he basically just I guess he had a visit from a blind rabbi who I guess they sent in who because they thought he might be able to <laughs> you know talk to him but I don't think it's uh, maybe it wasn't the right time
2: Two blind people surely they're bound to get along
1: <laughs> exactly yeah, that's what no, I mean. nobody
2: can hear the sarcasm in my voice <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he describes a train ride when he went back to his family as he was losing his sight but he wasn't really telling too many people because he was afraid and he didn't know what they would say um, he said the train was now going through the countryside, up along the Hudson River toward Albany. We were outside of time. The country air would have been refreshing, but the windows were closed. The land, what I could see of it, was uh, modeled with snow and seemed to stretch forever. And he talks about in- encountering, actually, of all things, a uh, an ophthalmologist. Of so- uh, or no, I think it- no, he wasn't an ophthalmologist. He was a pediatric. Uh- or the penis so he was just a doctor this man but he obviously had enough medical training and he could tell something was wrong and so i think he he kind of he sandy didn't even have to say you know admit to this stranger that he was losing his, that he seemed to be losing some sight which he didn't even really want to admit to himself or anyone else
0: yeah we're actually coming up here on the halfway point of the show So I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk more about Sandy Greenberg's memoir, Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend, a book inspired by his connection to the song Sound of Silence by Simon Garfield.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western. Today we are here with our friend Barry from Ireland and we are having a discussion about blindness uh, and specifically Sandy Greenberg, who is a lifelong best friend of Art Garfunkel. Uh, hopefully most of you know who that is, uh, from Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, um, so we were just talking about this this memoir that this Sandy has written about going blind in college and uh, I have a quote here. The book's called Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, and obviously that's a lyric from The Sound of Silence, and uh, I love that song, uh, but his quote here, uh, Art says, darkness is going to help you today. Darkness is going to read the Iliad to you. <laughs> so he he eventually called himself Darkness to his friend Sandy because he did a lot of reading and uh, helped get him to classes when Sandy lost his sight in in college. And I wonder was was
2: that because his voice came out of the darkness, or wonder what the
1: he was trying to, um, you know, he was trying to, he was trying to, he was trying to put himself in his friend's shoes to sort of, I'm here in the dark, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know, to make darkness less scary. I'm not sure, but
2: Hmm. (laughs) Um, a weird thing to say, a little bit, a little bit. You know, if if somebody said that nowadays, you know. They did call the police on you?
1: Well, yeah. His best friend said it. I think he that was all right. But um, I don't know. If Brian said it. I'd still call the police. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird. It's just very remote from uh, the, the the world that we all live in.
1: Yeah, it's hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of Sandy here, but we want to try and talk about the the way he's lived his life as a blind man since losing his sight, and we talked to him in the first half of our early his early um, experiences around other blind people and how that colored his impressions of blindness. So when he lost his sight in college, he, he got back to school eventually and he did really well because he, he's a, he's a brilliant man, Sandy Greenberg. Uh, He went to Harvard and Oxford. Um, He worked in the white house in the sixties with Lyndon Johnson, right? He's a smart, he's a smart guy. Uh, But here on Outlook, we have a bit of a different feeling about blindness, I would say. Wouldn't you, Bry?
0: Yeah, it's it's all it's the perspective and the and the philosophy of blindness that we we structure this show around and it is it is trying to like anyone does need to do at some point is to make the most of of what you have and look try and look at things as a positive experience instead of and focusing too much on on the difficult parts because yeah it would be tough in that moment going blind and i can't put myself in this in an arthur's or not Arthur. sorry I'm getting the people mixed Found up here. Shoes. in sandy's <laughs> shoes yeah mm-hmm. i can't i can't put myself in sandy's shoes so it's it's hard to come out from that total perspective but at the same time it's just this overall does really and we're gonna get to it a little bit more in a second with the quote that you're gonna you're gonna share but it just really puts blindness in in this depressing feeling here and it just it's really what we're trying to get away from in society so just when books like Mm -hmm. in 2020 are still coming out it's again it's a it's a thing about history where we need to look at history and how things were for everyone and respect everyone's point of view and I do it's just more the overall theme and the overall message that's going out from this book to the public is kind of a depressing message with blindness and we're trying to separate those two things
1: it has to do with internalized ableism that even people with disabilities have Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so basically he he went he lost his sight and uh, he was visited by a sort of counselor in the early days when he was still in Buffalo with his family. And she basically said to him, well, you can make uh, you can make screwdrivers and you can make. uh brooms like the kind of stereotypical things that people oh and
2: the, the blind workshops
1: yeah
0: yeah we talked a lot about that with the blind history
1: lady a few weeks ago right Where, whereas you know this is a brilliant guy who wanted who had a mind who want you know he wanted to use it he wanted to you know he wanted to go into political science and he wanted to go to law school he didn't want to make brooms obviously so if that's what people are telling you your options are i mean what else are you going to think right
0: right yeah. for sure it's but the basically people she around.
1: She gave him in his. So he had a, a girlfriend that he'd been with since high school, and they're still married today. So she stuck by him, just like Art Garfunkel kind of has uh, in his life. But this counselor suggested they go out, go for a bit of a drive in in sort of rural New York. There, I guess to I guess a justice of the Central peace floor. who was blind. Rural New York, this is in Buffalo and stuff. So there's a social. There, I guess there was a justice of the peace who who was blind. Who they, she sent her um, Sandy and his wife Sue, his future wife Sue, to go visit this guy and watch him work. So he, they went and sat in the back of a church when he was performing a ceremony. Um, but the way that describe he describes them, he says he was in a gray suit that had dark, and he was wearing dark glasses to hide eyes that would presu- presumably alarm people if they were to be seen. <laughs> he sounded. Practiced, but detached, possessing not a bit of joy in his voice. So, again, that's, is that what people think blind people's lives are like, I guess? I don't know. And they just he, didn't, he said he didn't want to live his life on the front porch, watching the world go by, but that wasn't his only option, which he discovered, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, he did go back to school. and
1: He did. It wasn't easy, obviously.
0: Uh, he went on to extraordinary then, success as an inventor, entrepreneur, but it, it sounds like investor. he yeah.
2: really, really downhill first. And then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. up. I don't know how steep the up was at the other side, but... Well,
1: like he, he, he really, wondered if his, life, his life's purpose was simply to serve as a reminder that bad things can happen. And like we said, he grew up with some difficult circumstances in his early life, so he had bad luck, he, think, he felt like. But the blindness didn't have to be just that.
2: No. and it, But it, it does sort of, it does very much read like bleak house.
1: Bleak. Very bleak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then he met him another, so we, he did go back to school and Arthur, I was helping him, Art Garfunkel. Um, but he did see another counselor in New York and uh, I guess she asked him, do you consider yourself to be blind? Which, I guess, is a question we ask. You are blind, that's the way it is, but it's what you think of yourself, I guess. Do you guys consider yourselves to be blind?
2: <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the thing. You see, we would we would obviously, in 2020, Carrie, we would analyse that a lot more. That mm-hmm. question, we wouldn't take it just on face value. You know, we are much more aware now and think about things like, well... I yeah I, I'm blind in the sense I can't see mm-hmm. or my eyes don't work. But we we wouldn't accept it as most of us anyway wouldn't accept it as our identity.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what they were asking. They she knew obviously that he was blind at the time, but more it's it's more that how do you feel about yourself? And at that point, blind was seen as this more of a negative thing. Yeah. It was it was, piti- it. Piti- yeah it was yeah, it was
1: pitiable. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: was pitiable. Piti- uh, yeah, like that.
1: Uh, and your life pretty much ended. So she, so she said to him, "How do you, how do you like being blind?" And he, he basically said, "To be frank, I don't like it." <laughs> right? That I don't like honest. it either. Like, <laughs> sometimes uh, no, we don't think. like it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't. We do.
0: I don't. I don't constantly say, "Oh, I'm so so happy that I'm blind." But that's that's not the point. I mean, I no, no matter where, no matter what you deal with in life you're always going to be not some days you aren't going to be as happy as other days. And it doesn't necessarily, Mm -hmm.
2: it doesn't necessarily always connect back to blindness. I think no, no, because we're somewhat, you know, adjusted people. We've either accepted our, our disability, if you will, um, or we've been born with it or, you know, and therefore don't really know that much of a difference. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: But he said, how do you, he said, do you consider yourself to be blind, to be a blind boy? She's, he's 19, I guess, at this point, basically. And he said, well, in the sense that I can't see or move around by myself, I guess you might say that I'm blind. I don't think it's all that important whether or not I consider myself blind. So there's the question. What What does he think is important uh, to point out or to, to focus on in his life? But he says he. So she asks if he wants to consider getting a cane or a guide dog. Um, and uh, but he says how degrading that would be. A dog would proclaim my blindness and my dependence to the world. Moreover, it would not only proclaim it; it would in itself be a dependence. Or I would not. I would not use one. It would remain. I want to remain independent. But basically, so to to put it in in context, he grew up during in a time right after sort of Franklin Roosevelt's time in America. He says FDR was a great president, always had been the model of how one handles a disability. You carry on as if it doesn't exist. And there there's a key there. And and
0: there's there's two parts to that. I mean, we don't again, it's like Barry mentioned before, kind of we don't want blindness to be our full identity. Um, But no, we we,
2: but equally, we're not going to I I don't think it should be something we should be ashamed of. No, no. essentially is what what Sandy's sort of saying here. And when we, again, look at it with our more analyzing 2020 and logical minds, we sort of can go, well, walking into trees is probably going to bring more negative, negative Mm -hmm. attention to you.
1: Well, then that's what I don't get. Having,
2: See, having a cute, cuddly guide dog that can be a really nice icebreaker in conversations
1: mm-hmm. and
2: dealing with the public and stuff, or a cane that you can just fold up and throw under the stairs when you get home.
1: And I don't you know, know, maybe he's maybe he's not a, a dog, a guy, a, a, you know, yeah, some people aren't dog people. Yeah,
2: but, yeah, so like McCain, and <laughs> I'd rather McCain hit, hit something than I did. Yeah,
0: it's interesting mm-hmm. to him that using a cane shows that he's not independent when a cane is Supposed to help with independence.
2: cane uh, there's actually yeah enabling. Yeah,
0: it's the opposite from
2: what. So it is. It's a tool to help you manage not being able to see.
1: So he, uh, he grew up he grew up in, in you know he became a very rich man and a very educated you know well off man. So he had the money to pay for a driver, and a whole bunch of assistance and things. Right, and that's yeah, it's one a different thing.
2: situation, right? But wouldn't he that could... driver be a dependent?
0: <laughs> yeah, true. He, he is depending on things.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I always point out on the show that we all we all whether depend you're Blind on or not, yeah. you depend on people. You depend yeah. on things to help you. We're human beings.
0: And the quote but that he, he said, says that really illustrates is want me is
1: to get
0: a dog. This quote specifically. I that want where, a car. Where he says, <laughs> "I don't want to be the blind guy. I want to be Sandy Greenberg, the human being." And that's mm-hmm. that's what the whole touches back to identity. We don't want to 100%. be known as the blind guy or the blind the blind woman or whatever. We just yeah. want to be humans, but blindness isn't a shameful thing. We want to be the blind person, the, the, the musical person, the writer, the like, you know, it's just part of who we are. It's, it's just one part of our identity.
2: But the funny thing is I've never actually said, and I've heard some people say that stuff before. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I've, I would never say I'm proud to be blind. And... and that's,
1: that's your opinion, right? Some people would, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to be blind, but I'm, I'm not on the am fence about it all. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's a I, tough I'd one. I'd
2: more moderate because that's why be we have you here. What's <laughs> it to be proud <laughs> of? It, you know, I can't see. Yeah, it's also uh, but... good to
0: be. A, it's 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 the balance of being realistic versus what society has. Like it's all back to systematic and how society perceives things and. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I could say that I'm a me- if I was a member of a. Blindness organization that was advocating, like like you know, like the CFP or something like that. There, mm-hmm. then that be that I could say I'm I'm a proud member of this organization that represents uh, blind right. people and is for blind people. No problem with that, but just being blind in of itself. What it, should what's it be proud about?
1: Well, that's my main point about it. What a brilliant guy this is, <laughs> intellectually. But yet, that yes. doesn't mean that he's done everything in the smartest way in our thought anyway. But yeah, so he doesn't use a cane or a dog even to this day, I believe. And there are a few people I've encountered recently who don't. Uh, There's one woman who's running for office in the U.S. who says she prefers to take someone's arm, but yet she wants to be in politics, she Mm -hmm. wants to be considered, you know, like anyone else. Uh, But so all of a sudden somebody walks away from you, and then what do you do? There's a scene he describes in the book where his art has to go somewhere else, so he's stuck walking back to to Columbia by himself. So yeah, he, art
0: kind of abandons him, he says he, in the, at the at the train station, well, not technically, but yeah, Art said he has yeah. an assignment to go to. So he leaves him in the middle of this huge crowd. And he's always been depending on art up to this point, so, so he bumps
1: into benches, suitcases, briefcases into into the back, you know, and just he stumbles into coffee cups at people's feet. Yeah, so he's trying to get t- to the train. <laughs>
0: right, and it turns out he does. He does make it. He gets on the train after he describes being bruised and um, running Bloodied. into all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he does catch the train, and then and then when he gets there, he runs into Art, who t- uh, turns out was following him the whole way.
1: And um, see, that's just a weird thing to do to somebody. And I, it's I guess bit, it seems a bit cruel. Why did it, but
2: but then yeah. yeah, he was trying to teach him a lesson. Like, you're going to have to, like, shape up or get some independence? No, he, well, he was
1: trying to show him that he could do it, that he can, he, that he could survive. But I don't think he was basically saying, you really should get a cane or a dog because oh, then you really? could get around. Mm. I don't think he was saying that either. I don't think he knew enough to say it, that. It was
0: more, friend. yeah, to give him some sort of confidence that he could still go to school and he could do this stuff.
1: I guess. I'm not sure. It's
0: hard to know but yet. It's,
1: basically, what they did is in 2016, they reenacted what he calls the Subway Odyssey. Uh, with National Geographic magazine, and I just don't—I don't get that.
0: <laughs> Wait, you? how did that work?
1: Like they just—the magazine did a feature on Art and Sandy, and they—they they wrote about that first experience, and they went back again in 2016, and sort of—I don't—they didn't reenact it exactly, but they—I don't know—I don't really get it. That's my—that's why I'm confused, and wanted to bring it up here, see if you guys had any better clarity about it, but.
2: Maybe they did just reenact it, yeah. the show, essentially, <clears throat> sort of, it's very ethereal and a philosophical. But essentially, then, was art? Do you guys think possibly trying to teach Sandy What we might, well, I don't know if you guys would call this call it this. But my definite, my personal definition of independence, is not that you never accept Not that I never accept assistance or ask for assistance or cited help or anything like that. There, because sometimes mm-hmm. it's either impossible to do the thing I need to do, or it's just quicker and easier. But to me, independence is if that assistance isn't there, I can still get the job done that I need to get done or go where I need to go to. You know, I'm. I'm not stuck. Yeah, you so not, don't want to be
0: dependent to the point where you can't if not, you're ever not in, in that day situation.
2: To, not in day-to-day life, no.
0: Yeah, because that's not that's not realistic.
2: It's not practical. So
0: it's
1: not. No, I I don't, I don't get it. I, I still don't get it. I'd love to talk to Sandy and find out more about it because uh, I read the whole book, as I said, and I still don't really get it. <clears throat> and I try to put myself in that in his place in in 1961 or two or wherever that was, but. Uh, you
2: know, but the sad thing is, guys, let's not get ourselves. I mean, we're we're both sorry, all three of us are from uh, you know first world. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, we we're, we're, yeah. we're Westerners and all this kind of stuff. There's still a lot of places in the world where Sandy's uh, approach and feelings and all this kind of stuff about blindness and about his own blindness um, would be very much encouraged and met by other family members and friends. You know, you go to certain countries in the world. I don't want to, like, disparage countries on the uh, mm-hmm. podcast. But, you know, there are places that aren't, quote-unquote, necessarily, as, as we would say, as evolved, maybe, in our own Western
1: arrogance. Uh, but he grew up in America, and he had access to canes and dogs, and he has had access all this time.
2: And he, and he still shunned them. But yeah. then, look, Ray Charles was the same. Stevie Wonder.
1: Were they? I don't even know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Does Stevie lot Wonder, lot... ever? No, Stevie Wonder has uh, always uh, cited help, and same with Ray Charles as well.
0: That can part of that can come into just the person's preference, but a lot of that is these people that are larger than, like, they are famous people or have this ability to to have those options. And um, yeah, maybe so
2: they're maybe they're really good. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I know whenever I first lost my eyesight and I had the Go outside and ask for sighted assistance for the first time, and as somebody who you could see before that, there it was quite daunting to hear somebody's footsteps walking past me and say, "Excuse me," and sort of put my hand out or move slightly forward to uh, engage with somebody walking past, mm-hmm. and that that was awful for me in the beginning because especially I was doing that in my local area where I grew up, and all of a sudden I you know wasn't I couldn't see then I'm out doing things. Differently in drawing attention to myself and, and what have you, um, and I've lost my train of thought. You knew the area,
1: but you,
0: yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty sure most. I can't. I would never speak for everyone, but most blind people, it is tough in the, at times, and it maybe is Sandy awkward. He was
2: just really good at charming people. For yeah, everyone's <laughs>
0: different, right? Some people are they aren't shy at all, and they're more bold. They might not yeah. have any issue going up to a stranger and saying, "Excuse me," whereas a lot of people, like like me and Carrie specifically, were both shy people
2: yeah. um, i don't know if you guys, have you guys uh, heard uh i mean it's a lot of years ago but it must be about got to 17 18 years ago and uh i remember i was on an email list back in the day for uh for the empowered people and there was a lady on there she came from somewhere in the united states i want to say somewhere in california from memory I'm not going to mention her name and stuff obviously but uh she was or she was totally blind, and she went for a waitressing job in a diner, and apparently she got it, and she was doing it. And I used to sit there and scratch my head and go, "How is she doing this?"
1: And that's the thing. Until we until we talk more about these things, it become it's like it's such it a becomes like Arab thing, legend almost.
0: yeah, yeah. And that was exactly what we found out a lot recently with history when we talk about it. Is why we need to talk about these things more and get them more publicized so that people do realize, oh, there is someone who's done this before, and. If, you are, if you're the trailblazer and the first one doing it, then it's going to seem more, obviously a and lot I, more daunting.
2: And I think also as well, Brian, it's important to sort of, obviously, I know you guys do this here, is to balance that out with the recognition of, say, you know, because we all hear about these sort of super uh, disabled people who you know, Paralympians and all this kind of stuff, and the old adage of sort of people going, well, Barry, you're blind, why aren't you doing that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'd be like, well, you have a moustache, why aren't you... <laughs> something else. Why aren't you Super Mario or something? But you know, it's why aren't the, you a seventies porn the, star? The, the, I don't know. It's to point out that the, the people that are doing this stuff, all credit to them, but yeah. also you have to acknowledge the support I think that they're getting as well. So they're not seen as superheroes, and the rest of us are underachievers. <laughs> Maybe that's just my complex.
0: It's like any segment of a population where, in in the sighted population, there's a lot of people who are. In the, who can get into the Olympics or at least sports on a minor level or something. And then there's people who don't.
1: So we're joking here and we make it, we've been calling this Sandy Greenberg a bit of a Debbie Downer, as they say, because it's so, so dreary, but he basically, uh, this experience he had in the subway in the early sixties without a cane or a guide dog or anything to help him. Uh, he, 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 he feels embarrassed obviously, and he's bleeding and he touches a woman's breast accidentally and, and he almost steps off the subway platform. Uh, oh. He, he feel, he's he's battered, and he's lost in the subway. And was and he feels like he was becoming that man, meaning the man that he remembers seeing outside the, uh, I guess in the market with his mother. He he didn't want to become that man, but there's there's something in between. He doesn't have to be one or he can be yeah. Something it seems else.
0: weird that not to be that man, you can't. I don't know that you can't use a cane or a guide dog. I can't really see but, the connection there.
1: Yeah. Um, Schopenhauer has a quote that says, uh, every man takes the limit of his own field of vision for the limits of the world. So this guy had a broad, a big wide mind of, of intelligence and all the things he wanted to accomplish, but yet he couldn't get past those early images of what blindness was to, to, you know, become more successful, in some of the ways that matter. Like he talks about, he goes to the, he, he has to go to a merger, like multiple times a year. And wow. his kids grew up seeing him g- make, get all these injuries. And I just, I read that and it's so sad to me. And, and, yeah, that and we stuff, know
2: somebody like that. We do. And it's like, whoa, slow down, take it easy. It's
1: yeah. It can be a,
0: it's one of those things that where it's, it can be avoided and when you're when you're someone that's also blind and I, obviously everyone has different levels and different areas and stuff but really like if you have and it's not even always to, easy to get sometimes but i'm sure in his position he could have got the training at some point yeah. if he oh, wanted yeah. to and he just didn't want that because that's admitting more and more to yourself that you are blind and you're taking his resources and i realize that that's Something that a lot of people might go through to some extent. But. Do you
2: think as well could could possibly? I know we're reanalyzing this guy to death here, but uh-huh. could some of this also possibly be seen as, you know, yes, depression, bleakness, whatever. I, I don't mean to dismiss it like that there, but yeah. It could so, could also what one very human trait that we haven't really mentioned? Pride. Yeah. You know that's why maybe that is a huge reason why he didn't want to admit. He does, he
1: describes himself as, I mean, at the time he was a very, you know, a young guy, so he describes a certain kind of arrogance uh, that I guess he's sort of attributing to just being young, being young, a young male in the 60s, a young white male. Uh, but yeah. his, his religion is very important to him, I and mean, he talks about his Jewish, you know, faith. But to him, um, you know, blind people are mentioned in the Bible, obviously, and again, it's it's always something you overcome, right?
0: hmm Yeah.
1: He says, Humans, human beings weren't meant to live in darkness, you know. No, we were made to see the light. <clears throat> but what if blind people are born this way? God makes them that way, and that's what that's. But th- at the same time, people hear that, and in the past, they've they've used that as a religion to say, Well, God's made you this way, and so you should just accept your life as this as blind people, as blind people are supposed to live, you know, making brooms. But that's that's just how society was seeing it at that time, that's not how. Yeah, I mean, there's, should
2: be. There's, there's various other groups in today's society that were once slaves. You know, it doesn't mean that that was okay. Exactly, or, the Bible used to justify things, slavery. You know, yeah, but we've evolved from that there. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with uh, blindness. There's been an evolution. And it's still going.
1: Yeah, and so he basically now, in the last few years, him and his wife have set up this called... And, you know, putting an end to blindness, it's a prize for 2020. They're having the ceremony in December. They didn't necessarily expect that all the scientific minds would be able to cure blindness by 2020. This, I guess, was started in 2012. Um, And, you know, was it $3 million? Yeah,
0: $3 million prize to find a cure for blindness.
1: Ending blindness 2020 prize, right? So that's been his goal all his life, ever since he went blind.
0: And we're never saying here on this show that we don't think research is important and that looking mm-hmm. for cures isn't isn't totally, um,
2: is important. Oh.
0: Po- we don't disagree Sorry, with that, but, but it's, no. no, I
2: was going to say, if I, yeah, I like, if, if the, for my particular eye condition, um, you know, if, if something comes up uh, uh, in the future, I'd be honest with you guys, I'm
1: jumping on board. But you will know, you be the first, because, will you be the first to test it if it's not? No, 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 I won't be a guinea pig.
0: And that's, an, that's a different perspective different here levels. that we we can share where, I mean, if, yeah, if it, if it was tested and it was, and I knew people that had done it and I was at that point, I I would likely go for it. But at the same time, for me being born blind and never having it, I just don't have that curiosity really at all, to be honest.
2: For me, it would be more of a convenience, I think, for myself now and I, you know, I just want to. I just love to sit back and watch high definition TV on a sixty-inch screen. <laughs> and you know, it's a it's a bit of a sort of shallow reason. And it's so a little it
0: different though because you've you have had that before. I've never yeah, had that, so absolutely. I absolutely I don't think. But about again,
2: it. don't get don't get me wrong. I don't think about it on a day to no. day basis because. <clears throat> but I used to when I first lost me. I say because right a bit like Sandy, you know, yeah, a good few frustrating years, and as I learned to adapt and do things in a different way, and. Some things became easier to me, and some things were s- slow at first. But you know, like anything, if you keep on and keep practicing, things.
0: It seems like Sandy's had his whole life, and now he's still looking for cures, and it, that just seems so miserable to me. Like to live your entire life yeah. looking for a well, that's cure for something. I was going to say. Yeah,
2: because I, I don't, I don't think about this stuff on a daily basis. Right? I'd be like, yeah, if that came up, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but I, you have to, you have
1: to live with the hand you're dealt. Yeah, I mean, he goes on and talks about pursuing perfection, even if it's not attainable, which is why he's put this this prize forward, I guess, right? But what is perfection to you? He sounds
2: like he puts a lot of pressure on himself.
1: Yeah, um, he's an overachiever, probably. And um, again, we don't want to seem like we're, you know, you know, analyzing him, armchair psychiatrists or whatever the heck we sound like. But um, as blind people, we feel a vested interest in in talking about this, or at least I do.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that we, we need to be, we need to find more books and more movies and stuff in media that does portray. It's, it's like any group of people. It's good to show that both sides of things, but we need more portraying the positive sides of these things. And the more that Mm -hmm. this, this type of literature is out there, people are anyone who does come across this book or was, who was a Simon and Garfunkel fan and somehow finds out about this and reads the book. Like it's, you know, it still has that negative
2: and, it's, and also as well, I think it's um, as you say, Brian. It's important to show both sides. It's not, not necessarily the positive; it's the realistic side. You know, yeah, it, it sucks. I am blind, but you know, I've got a nice apartment. I've got all sorts of gadgets that help me with my independence. I've got mobility skills. Uh, we've got technology. You know, it's um, it's doable. It's not it's not the horror show that he was sort of. Thing.
0: And I don't consider it being imperfect when he says no. he's looking for perfection, which overall is to me perfection is never possible and it's never no, not no. even a good thing.
1: No. Yeah. Well, he says with this prize they're putting out, they they're not looking for like quack cure, like you know cures and all those things that you know maybe some people. Oh, I want that three million dollars. That's you know he's not going to accept stuff like that. I don't think.
0: Right. Well, but. we're coming We're coming up to the end here, guys. We got about, yeah. a, we got about a minute left, so thanks again he to Barry. He wants all for- God's
1: children to feel the sun, but also to see the sunrise and see the sunset, right? So I don't know, Brian, if you care about sunrises and sunsets to see those.
0: Again it's it's one of those things that sure the idea sounds really neat but at the same time I've never had that concept I can feel the sun I I do have a bit of light perception so I can see the brightness of the sun but yeah mm-hmm. to actually seeing it set and rise I know it it's a beautiful sight from what I've been told but I just don't I just don't think about it really at all to be honest but
1: Yeah and thanks Barry for coming on today to talk no about problem. this because it's it's there's no right or
2: wrong No, we could could talk all night. Yeah, (laughs) we really could.
1: And I mean, read the book if you'd like. I'm I'm not totally recommending it here. I'm sort of saying, please don't let this be the only idea of blindness you have if you're going to read it. That's all.
0: All right. You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Outlook on Radio Western. We will have some notes about the show in there if you missed anything. And we'll be back next week with more Outlook on Radio Western. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB And on Facebook facebook Facebook.com Outlook on Radio Western